0: Yeah, Father God, we just thank you for today. We just thank you for your word, Lord. We just thank you that you are the God who speaks, Lord. You're not know, a God that is just some nice fairy up in the sky that you know we can't get to, or that is so distant, Lord. But you're a God that has given us his word, Lord. You are the one true God who has spoken through his word, Lord God, and you have given that to us so you can come and change our lives, Lord. And I thank you that it is not just a self-help manual, it is not just... It's not just to live a decent life, Lord God, but it's to come and to know you and Christ as our saviour. Lord, when we open your word, it is you speaking to us, Lord, not because you want to just tell us how bad we are and how to improve, but because you want to know us, Lord. Thank you that you are a God that comes to know us, a God that wants to know his people, his creation, not staying far off, but drawing near. Father God, and I pray that today, Lord, as we open your word, Lord, as we think about what the glory of God is, what is your glory, I pray that you would just show us, Lord. Father God, I pray that you would help us to understand, Lord. I pray that you would help us to see how we can live lives demonstrating your goodness, your glory, living lives, demonstrating who you are. And I pray that you would come and do this. And help us to do this. In Jesus' name, amen. Fantastic. We are going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 today, starting in verse 23. So let's turn there in our Bibles. And remember, if you don't know where 1 Corinthians is, it is in the contents page. Don't feel ashamed to use the contents page. It's there for a reason. So get down to 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to go to chapter 10. So you're going to flick through to the big 10. Uh, and then down to the little number 23. So that's where we are today. And we're going to go through to chapter 11, verse 1. And we're going to be finishing this sort of section uh, that Paul has been explaining, (coughs) kind of about um, Christian freedom, what we can and can't do as believers. Um, We've been talking about it for sort of the past three or four weeks now, starting in chapter 8, all the way through chapter 8, 9, and 10. Um, Yes, and these are sort of of our Christian freedoms. A lot of what Paul is talking about is food. What food can we eat? What food can we not eat? Why is that important? It's important to look at sort of these things because it helps us to understand, um, actually, how do we live lives for God well? But as we're going to see at the end of our chapter, (laughs) Paul is going to explain and sum up his argument with this one phrase, Which is, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do all to the glory of God. Now, who thinks that they do this? Who thinks that in everything they do, they bring glory to God? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Um, (laughs) Because if someone raises a hand, they'll probably be lying. And is that glorifying God? Probably not. I mean, it's not a probably, it's definitely not. (laughs) Don't go away thinking Rory thinks it's okay to lie. It's not true. Um, but we're going to unpack that a bit, because it is kind of a big, scary phrase when you think of do all things to the glory of God, and you look at your own life and you think, oh my goodness, I definitely don't measure up to that. I definitely don't do that. Um, but we're going to look at what that means and why Paul is talking about it. Actually, what that looks like. Um, yeah, so we're going to look at what is that glory of God. What does it mean to do all things and what it actually looks like in our life. And the most important thing that we're going to see probably at the end is seeing that it's Christ is the one who did all things to the glory of God. And it's Christ who demonstrated God's glory and his goodness in laying down his life. And it's why we are following him. He is the one that we follow. He is the one that we look to in order to know how to do this. So, I'm going to read the passage, and then we're going to get stuck into it. So, starting in verse, chapter 10, verse 23, it says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof. If one of the unbelievers invites you to dinner, and you are disposed to go, eat whatever is set before you, without raising any questions on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, then do not eat it, for the sake of the one who informed you. And for the sake of conscience, their conscience. I do not mean your conscience, but his For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced because of that which I gave thanks? So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that many may be saved. Be imitators of me as I imitate Christ. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you for this passage, Lord, and we thank you that, yeah, Father God, you want us to live lives which glorify you and demonstrate your glory and your goodness, Lord. And we thank you, Lord, that even when we feel the pressure to do that, Lord, it is not us and our own strength, but it is the Holy Spirit that gives us strength, to do it, Lord. It is the Holy Spirit that does the changing in our life, Lord. I thank you that it's not all just down to us just to be the perfect people, Lord, but it is your Holy Spirit sanctifying us to be more like Christ. And I pray that as we go through this, Lord, that we would remember that as truth, Lord, that we wouldn't just think about this is a list of things I need to do, Lord, but help us to see that it is the Holy Spirit that sanctifies us to be this. In Jesus' name, amen. So... We're just going to unpack what this phrase, the glory of God is, because that's kind of the title, What it, um, do all things for the glory of God, or do things to the glory of God. And the glory of God is it's one of those phrases, you've probably heard of it before, you've probably kind of read it, heard people talk about it. It's one of those Christian phrases that often you like, I kind of get a sense of what it means, but it's also kind of vague, and I don't really understand it all too well. I definitely thought that when (laughs) prepping this. I was like, yeah, the glory of God, I know what that means. And then I did some reading, and I'm like, I don't know what that means. And then I chatted to John, and John explained a bit more, and I'm like, I definitely don't get what that means. That's not John's explaining. Maybe it is. Who knows? Um, But I want us to think about it, and I want us to unpack it, because if we don't grasp a little bit about what it is, it's going to be hard to understand how we live lives doing all things to God's glory. And I want to think of it like this. When we talk about the glory of God, it is something that is demonstrated, but also something that is recognized. So the glory of God is a demonstration of his excellence, a demonstration of all that God is, and his characteristics and his attributes. It is a demonstration of his goodness. All that God is on display. And because of that, because it is what God demonstrates, it is how we respond and we honor him because of that. We're singing in to God be the glory. We think of glory as in like we give praise, we give thanks. When we're singing to God be the glory, we're thinking of it and singing about how God demonstrated his glory in sending Jesus, how he demonstrated his goodness towards us in Christ, dying for us. And in response to that, we praise him because of it. I want to think of it think of it maybe like this. I mean, I love football, and I like to think of things in football terms. It really helps me. And God speaks to me in football terms. It's great. But I want us to think about it like this. Most people should have heard of the World Cup here. Yeah, that's good. Uh, no one nodded their head, and we're like, am I the only football fan in this church? But when, uh, when Argentina won the World Cup um, last year, they lifted up a trophy. They had this big gold trophy. And the trophy was the glorious thing. But it was the trophy was a demonstration of all that they were as a team, just how good they were as a team. There was no one else like them in the world. There was no one that could compete with them. There were none better. And so even though the trophy was just a big gold trophy... It didn't just say, look, here's a lump of gold. But it was a demonstration of all that the team stood for, all that the team was. And so when we think about uh, the glory of God, it is a demonstration, not just of what we see, but it's a demonstration of all the things attached to God, his holiness, his goodness, his perfection. When we see in the Old Testament... In Psalm 19, verse 1, it says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the skies above proclaim his handiwork. When we look and see creation, that demonstrates something of God. It shows us how good God is, his glory in that he is mighty and powerful, how he demonstrates his love in creating for us. It shows us something of God. It is a display of who God is, his goodness to create, to love. And when we look in the New Testament, the New Testament, John says this in John 1, verse 14. He says, The Word, being Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That was Colossians 1:19, thrown in as well. But it says, The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. That is Jesus. And Jesus was the fullness of God's glory, a display, a demonstration. This is who God is. That's why Paul said in Colossians, in him, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When they saw Jesus, they didn't just see a man, they saw God in human form and the goodness of God, all that God was on display. And that is why we praise and honor Jesus, not just as a man, not just as a historical figure, that's like he's done some great teaching. But when we praise and honor Jesus, we praise him because he is God's glory in human form who demonstrated that and lived that life saying everything I want to do is for God. And so that's when, what it means. So that's kind of a little bit about what the glory of God is. And I hope you're following me with that as the demonstration of all that God is. And so when Paul says, do all things to the glory of God, what he means is this, it's to demonstrate in everything that we do, the goodness of God. Why is God better than anything else? Why is it God is the one that you know, we praise and worship and follow? In everything that we do, we are to do it to say, this is how good God is. This is why he's worthy to be followed. And this is why we have given our lives for him. And it is to be motivated by his goodness to us. When we see how good God has been, that should motivate us to be demonstrating that to others. When we do all things to the glory of God, it demonstrates and shows other people, this is the God we follow. This is why he's so good. This is why you should follow him. You know, Jesus says, says a sem, uh, similar thing Similar thing in Matthew 5. He says in Matthew 5 this. He says, nor, uh, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. And this is the key bit. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may, they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine before others. We know that now is the light in us, which is Christ, by his Holy Spirit, united to us. Let Christ shine before others so they may see the things that we do, the way that we demonstrate God's goodness, and say there's something different about him. I can see why he follows God, and I can see why this God is so good to follow. So they may give glory, they may give praise to your Father in heaven. And so that's what the glory of God is in a very shortened way. And that's what Paul means when he says do all things to the glory of God. It's to demonstrate God's goodness. And why is Paul saying this? Why is he saying this to the Corinthians at this time? Why is he saying, you know, this is how you should live and act, you know, uh, and, and do these things to regard your Christian freedoms, the things that you can choose to do, the way that you lived? Remember that the Corinthians, they were part of a culture that wanted to glorify themselves and the individual. They were people that wanted to make themselves seem great. You know, to the glory of me, not to the glory of thee. They wanted to look to put themselves first. They were in a culture where they were a lot of freed slaves and it was about how can I make myself great? How can I show to everyone how good I am? You know, if we think back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, which is quite easy for me to do because I also taught that chapter, (laughs) but we think about it, and they said, you know, some say I follow uh, Apollos, some say I follow Paul, some say I follow Peter. In that culture they're obsessed with, who can I follow that makes myself of greater status? Who can I follow that shows that I am better than others? You know, and it's very much like the culture that we live in today. How can we put ourselves first? How can we promote our own glory? It's a culture that is focused on the self. But doing things for God's glory to show how great he is, his goodness, his uniqueness. That is why Paul is saying it, is saying, look, it's not about glorifying yourself. It's not about making yourself seem great. It's about following God, showing how great he is. That's how they're going to stand out in the culture with a church that was blended with a culture trying to fit in, Paul was calling them to stand out by showing it's not about doing things for yourself, but doing things for God. So, in the context of our passage, what does it mean to do all things for the glory of God? And we're going to look at it three ways, and these are three ways which Paul's kind of summarizing chapters 8 to 10. So he wants us to do all things to the glory of God in prioritizing others, prioritizing a clear witness, and prioritizing the salvation of others as well. So let's look at the first one. Verses 23 to verses 24. Paul says this, All things are lawful, But not all things are helpful, all things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. See, Paul is reiterating a theme that he's been talking about throughout these chapters. Which is, we should think about how our actions affect others first. To put their good above our own. That's why he says, seek the good of others Not the good of their own. You know, Paul's focused a lot about discussing what freedoms uh, the Corinthians have. You know, and it's helpful to really get stuck into that. What can they do? What can they not do? What is glorifying to God? What is not glorifying to God? But I think sometimes when we hear that phrase, Christian freedoms, we just get wrapped up in what does this mean for me? What does it mean I can do? What does it mean I can get away with? What does this mean that my life looks like? How does my life get better? But Paul's saying that's not the important thing. We don't want to get wrapped up when we talk about what can we do. But Paul's saying the most glorifying thing is to think about how does what I do affect others? How does it build up those around me? That should be our priority. That should be our first thought. Not about how can I make my life good and comfortable or how can I just make my life the best it can be. But we're demonstrating God's goodness by saying, okay, I'm willing to let go of certain things in order to serve others. And I think back to chapter 8, which John taught on. Chapter 8, verse 13, Paul says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. Paul's saying it's okay to eat meat, but if it means eating meat is going to cause someone else to struggle... The things I do causes someone else to be torn down rather than built up. I'm willing to let go of that because the priority is relationship, is fellowship. It's building the church, not building myself. Paul says a similar thing in Galatians 5, 13 and 14. He says, You are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so hard things do. We don't always like to give things up. Who likes to give things up? Not a single hand. Great. It's hard to give things up. We don't always like it. But we give things up because it brings glory to God. It shows his goodness because it shows Christ's heart for us. Christ, in his freedom, he chose to love us and serve us first. He didn't just give up his freedoms, he gave up his life. He said, I love you first. I want to serve you first. That is why I'm going to go to the cross for you. You know, Jesus himself said, Mark 10 45, it's the Servants' Church verse. The Son of Man did not come. Uh, to be served, but to serve, and give his life as a ransom for many. And so when we give things up for one another, when we want to prioritise other people first, we're living out what Christ has done for us. Again, loving God, loving neighbour. And when we do that, it shows we're different, because when we live in this kind of world which is all about self-focus, you know, self-glorifying, let's put yourself first, you know, do what you can to get ahead. When we go against the grain of our culture, when the Corinthians go against the grain of their culture, it shows us something different. It demonstrates God's goodness, that God sent his only son for us, that God gave up his son for us, and that because of that, we are willing to give up certain aspects of our lives for those around us. And so that's the first challenge, that's the first thing I want to think about is when we think about what we can and can't do in our lives, is our first thought, how does that benefit others? Or does that just benefit me? It's a hard challenge. Does it just benefit me, or does it build up the church? So that's the first thing. The second thing about doing all things to the glory of God is pref- uh, prioritizing a clear witness. Verses 25 to 30. Paul says this. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any questions on the ground of conscience for the earth of the Lord's and everything therein. If one unbeliever invites you to dinner and you are disposed to go, disposed just means if you want to go, Eat whatever is set before you without raising any question on the ground of conscience. But if someone says to you, this has been offered in sacrifice, for the sake of the one who informed you and for the sake of conscience, I do not mean your conscience, but his, do not eat it. For why should my liberty be determined by someone else's conscience? If I partake with thankfulness, why am I denounced? Because of that which I gave thanks. So the first thing that Paul is saying is regarding food at the meat market. He says, you are free to eat it. You know, the world is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's because it belongs to God. But he also says, if you're invited to dinner, you should go if you want. The choice is yours. But then he also says, if you, eat, if you go, eat whatever's put in front of you without raising any questions. Which basically means don't make you know, a fuss over it. Unless it's something really gross like bananas. Someone just served you a plate of bananas, don't eat it. I hate them. They're disgusting. But then he goes on to say, if you know, if someone tells you where the food is from and it's sacrificed to idols, then don't eat it for the sake of the other person. It's all kind of confusing. What is Paul going on about? There's so many things. Like, Paul, you're telling me one thing, you're telling me this, you're telling me that. What am I meant to do? But Paul, what Paul is saying is that he wants us to be a clear witness It's kind of, it's so easy to talk about kind of Christian freedoms in a sense of like, oh yeah, you read it and you talk about it. But when you're actually there in the middle, it's kind of hard to think, what's the balance? What do we do? That's why Paul goes into lots of details. But what Paul is trying to say in this passage is that we've got to maintain a clear witness to unbelievers. I want to think of it in, uh, think of it in terms of, I don't know. It's a classic Christian freedom issue, which is drinking. You know, should Christians drink, should Christians not drink? I want to think about this passage like this. If your work colleague invites you out for drinks after, and your conviction is that you shouldn't drink, it is a clear witness for you to choose not to go. It demonstrates that some Christians don't drink, and they want to honour what they feel their, uh, their faith is saying. First. It is a clear witness. It's better to say, okay, look, I'm a Christian and I don't drink. Um, thanks for the offer. But I wanna, you know, I wanna put my faith first. This is what I feel is right. That's a clear witness. It shows a line of like, look, this is what you know I feel is right. But if they invite you out and you go and you get super excited, and you're like, Yeah, it's gonna be such a great evening, but then you get there and you start making it about how you don't drink and how you don't agree with it and you know, how you think drinking's wrong and my conviction is, oh yeah, it's wrong to drink. That's just going to confuse people. If you get super excited about something and you go along to it and then you get there and then you start telling them how wrong you think it is, is that going to confuse you? It is. And so that's why Paul in this context is saying, look, you have the choice to go, the choice not to go. You have the freedom to go there, the freedom not to go. We don't want to go and start making a big fuss that's going to cause sort of. um, I completely lost the word. A distance. There was a distance in my brain there. A distance between us and the unbeliever. It's better to be. You know that phrase? It's better to be safe than sorry. It is better to be clear than to be confusing. That's why he says, if you do go for dinner, or in our case, if you do go for a drink, you know, don't make it about the freedom issue, but use it as an opportunity to witness. You can sit there and not have a drink, but don't just start making it all about how drinking's bad or this is what you think. But use it as an opportunity to witness. You know, that's why Paul wants us to be clear. And with a bit about the one who informed you, it's like this: if, like, if you're going down to, you know, if you're going down for a drink with your colleagues after work, and one of them pulls you aside and they say, "Hey, look, you know, some of the lads—they really want to go out and they want to get plastered, like they want to get smashed," you know. And I don't really know how you feel as a Christian, because I know that sometimes Christians don't really drink, but I'm not really sure where you stand on this. Paul would say it's better to not go. Because even though you know you might know in your heart that you're not going there to get drunk, if you still go and say, Yeah, that's fine, I won't drink that much, but you go on, that's okay. Again, that's an unclear witness. Because those two words, that's fine, it demonstrates to them that you endorse things which Christians don't. You know, you might know in your heart that actually I'm not gonna go there, I'm not gonna get really drunk. But if you're there and you're, someone said, like, this is the plan, Stan, <laughs> and you say, that's fine, I'm going to go along with it, again, that gives them that impression of, well, do Christians say this is okay? Or do Christians say this is not okay? That's why it's better to, be, uh, to not go. Better to be safe than sorry. Better to provide a clear witness to them. You know, if we want to show God's goodness we want to, and God's glory, and that there is no one better and no one worth following more, then we have to be clear in the way that we demonstrate that. We have to be clear in saying, okay, these are the things which I know are okay, and these are the things which might confuse those that don't follow Jesus or those that are just still investigating it. How am I going to do something which portrays Christ well? and how good God is. Confusing them is not the one. I remember when I, when I first became a Christian, uh, and I was sort of wrestling with this, and I was, you know, I was very much saying, like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian here, and I do this, and God's really good, and blah, blah, blah. But I was also, in the rest of my life, I was living in a way that totally didn't represent that. And I don't know I haven't spoken to this friend in a long time, but this came back. Uh, my friend Lewis, he said, Rory... <laughs> said to me once, he said, Roy, you're the worst Christian in the world. And that's sobering words. Because I was telling him one thing, and I was being really unclear what actually Christians do and what Christians look like, because I was living in a totally different way. Thankfully, I've had the chance to meet up with him since and sort of, you know, show him what a good witness for Christ looks like. You know, that's not his lasting impression of Christian's. But imagine that, imagine if I never saw him again. What would his lasting impression of a Christian be? Unclear, confusing, they don't even know what they're doing themselves. That's why Paul is taking so long over these things. That's why it's really good for us to wrestle and pray through, and that's why it's important to think not just about what is fine for me, but what portrays Christ well to others. Because you might be fine with stuff, you might be fine with going and having a drink, but you don't want to confuse those that you want to witness to, and demonstrate God's goodness to. Because God is a good God, and as we're going to see in one Corinthians fourteen, God is not a God of disorder and chaos. God is a God who is clear. So that's the second thing. And the third thing that I want us to think about is prioritizing the salvation of others. We demonstrate God's goodness, God's glory, who God is. We demonstrate that when we prioritize the salvation of others. Verse 31 says this. So whether you eat or drink... Whatever you do, do all things to the glory of God. Give no offense to Jews or to Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, so that they may be saved. This should be our driving motivator. Doing things for God's glory, a response to him, how good he is, saying, God, I want to show that and demonstrate that. That's the first and greatest commandment: love the Lord your God with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Showing that I want to love God. And as Jesus says, the second greatest commandment, second commandment, is love your neighbor. Our driving motivator as Christians should be: does the way that I live show that I love God, love my neighbour? and desire for them to know and love God as well. That's what Paul's was. That's why he says, do all things for the glory of God. Do things to show God, I love you, and I want to demonstrate that to others, to my neighbors, to those around me. And that is why he says, you know, just as I try and please everyone in everything I do, I don't seek my own advantage, but that of many. He didn't seek to make his life, this is Paul, he didn't seek to make his life cushy and nice and the best that he can have it for himself. He didn't think to put himself first. But in everything that he did, in all the freedom that he had, in all of his actions he could have chosen to do, he chose to show how good God is and use it to bring people to know God, to demonstrate this is how good God is. He was happy to give things up in his life For the chance of others to be saved. Are we willing to give up those comforts in our lives in order for people to be saved? You know, this could be your your time, your service. It could be anything. There's so many things which it doesn't you know, the Bible doesn't really isn't clear on this is how you should use your time, this is how you should do this, This how you should do that. But in those things, when it comes to our time, we should be thinking, when it comes to our actions and the things that we do, we should be thinking, does this demonstrate God's goodness, God's glory? And am I doing this to see people come to know him as the good God I know? Someone once said to me, they're telling me a bit about their testimony, and they kind of said, if God gave me this life, and I believe it's true that he's really saved me, then this life is not really mine but it is his, and he can use it however he wants. Is this how we view our lives and our freedoms? Are we people that say, God, you've set me free from the law, you've set me free from my sin, and I want to do everything so that other people know that salvation as well? How are we doing that? It's challenging stuff. It is, because even as I've been thinking about this and I've been going throughout my week, my life, I'm like, my goodness, I don't always prioritize others. I don't, I'm not always clear on my witness to others. I'm not always clear on what I, you know, what I'm demonstrating. I'm not always prioritizing and thinking bringing others to know Jesus the way that I do. But it's a challenge for us to do this. And how do we do this? Paul says this, he says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And Paul's not just saying, you know, don't follow Christ, follow me. (laughs) What he's saying is that look at how I try and live a life that Christ did. It's almost like a, like a reflection, like a mirror. If anyone was to look at Paul, Paul would then point them past himself to Christ. He's not saying, imitate me because I'm amazing. We know Paul said, you know, I'm the chief of all sinners. But he's saying, look, I'm trying to live my life for Christ, showing what he has done. And that's what we do. We look past Paul. We look past those influences around us and we say, this is what God is doing in them. This is how I want to follow Christ. Because Christ always put others before himself. He never compromised on his witness and his demonstration of God and his goodness. Christ always lived prioritizing the salvation of others. We look to him who demonstrated it to us as he motivates us to demonstrate it to others. So that's our challenge. When we feel like, oh, we're not doing this. We're not demonstrating God's goodness, God's glory in the way that we should. Look to Christ who did it first. Everything that he did, he did it for God. And the times that we mess up, the times that we feel like we're slacking, or the times we feel like we're just not cutting it, there is grace and there is forgiveness in that. We're not the perfect ones, we follow the perfect one. And he set us free not to just do whatever we want, but to be more like him, sanctified daily, to bring and demonstrate his goodness, his glory to those around us. So let's think about that as we go into this week. Let's pray. Yeah, Father God, we just thank you that you are the perfect one, and you sent your Son. Christ Jesus, who was the perfect one. And Lord, we thank you that even when we don't cut it, even then we mess up and we fail all the time, Lord, you forgive us. And Father God, we just thank you for each and every person in our lives that has gone before us who was demonstrating your goodness to us, Lord. Those that shared the gospel with us the first time, the thousandth time, those that led us by the hand to know Jesus, Lord. We thank you for all your saints that have gone before, who have prioritized others, who prioritize keeping that witness clear and prioritize the salvation of others, Lord. And Father God, I pray that as we go out into the world, Lord, and as we look to live our lives, Lord, help us not to think ourselves and be selfish, Lord. But let us look to you and in everything that we do, do it to demonstrate just how good a God you are because you are a good, good father. It's who you are. So Lord, challenge us, convict us and comfort us as we head out from this place. In Jesus' name, amen.